Welcome to Inviting Doom, a podcast about faith, bad theology, and stepping into ideas marked as dangerous for the soul. I'm Sarah, one of your hosts. And I'm Krista. We'd love you to join us as we unlearn old beliefs, navigate current issues, and explore the previously unexplored religious frameworks in our lives. everyone we are back and um we had sort of had a couple of feedback notes from people who had started listening to our first podcasts and they were just like great stuff guys however um can we learn a little bit more about you before you just go randomly into a whole pile of theology in your deepest years <laughs> so <laughs> it's like like maybe what's your favorite color or <laughs> <laughs> yeah tell us anything yeah exactly instead of you know what keeps you up at night in terms of hell um <laughs> so we're gonna try and do that even though probably Chris and I are both pretty crap at well, not crap at little light quirky stuff, but we really want to talk about the nitty gritty all the time. So yeah. gritty is more fun and we might just end up going there anyway, but we'll, we'll try to, we'll try to give you guys a little bit of a background of ourselves and see how we do. So Krista, probably first question is trying to remember back to your childhood and yeah. what was something that you really loved, you know, kind of before you get into, into um, all the, the self-monitoring that tends to happen as we grow up anyway of like, what's cool and what's not cool and that you really remember just being, you know, enthralled with. Well, there are a couple of things that like, for the most part, I was just a really athletic kid. So I was a competitive gymnast and gymnastics was my life and just wanted to do that all the time. But if I wasn't doing that, I just wanted to be outside, you know, riding my bike with the neighbor kids, climbing trees, building forts, you know, I think the typical 80s (laughs) upbringing almost (laughs) of like living in the cul-de-sac with our bikes. That's what I remember the most is just like, my mom would be like, go play outside, <laughs> you know, get out of the house. And we would just go knock on random doors and be like, hey, do you guys want to play? <laughs> <laughs> Finding friends down the, yeah, totally. Yeah. And that was basically it. And if I wasn't doing that, then I was at the, at the club training for sure. And man, just loved that. And now that I'm old, I feel like I feel my body <laughs> like oh, I'm not strong or flexible anymore. And I can still remember that feeling uh, aging. Yeah. I tried to do a somersault today down the hallway with my daughter and in like gymnastics, somersault is something that you do like at the very basic level. I could do flips and tumbling and I literally did one somersault with her and I got up and felt dizzy. <laughs> I was like, oh, I've lost my edge, lost my edge. Um. How about, was there anything when you maybe started moving into that time period where you start to be a little bit more self-aware and was there anything that you like sort of secretly wanted to do, but you were like either, either it wasn't cool or you're, you thought maybe it was wrong or your other friends weren't allowed mm-hmm. to do it or. Okay. So this is, I swear I'm not the only one who's done this, but I'm just going to be super vulnerable right now and tell you exactly <laughs> what it was. I used to, it's probably in my early teenage years, but. I used to just really want to be able to have sex and like, you're, you're just not allowed to do that. So you get married. And I was so scared that the rapture would happen. And then I wouldn't be able to have sex before I'm just like with Jesus for eternity. And I didn't even know if there was sex in heaven because you're in heaven. So I would like pray every night that God wouldn't come back until I got to have sex. That's hilarious because there is that weird thing where it, as a kid, you have this really innate sense that heaven is actually really boring. Do you know yeah. what it, like, <laughs> yes. it strikes you of like, not only just this eternal, like, you know, eternal thing going on forever, but it's, it seems so removed from the fun stuff you're doing as a kid, yes. and your, your body and running around and doing all of this kind of stuff. And it just seems so different from what you what you can imagine right that exactly well and I would hear scriptures of like you'll be in heaven you'll just be singing for eternity holy (laughs) holy holy is the Lord God almighty and I like I just thought like lame yeah you know I want to I want to have an orgasm and see what that's like (laughs) 
I always, so this is funny. So I had, okay, that would have been similar to some friends that I had who were just like dying to date. They were just like, oh my God, let me make out with somebody. Let me, whatever. And Mm -hmm. that was never me. I was like always trying to avoid boys and trying to um, be pure and holy. And I, I never really, I would never really fancied bothering with sex before before god came or none of that really i guess appealed to me because i self-edited first and i was very efficient at it or just Mm -hmm. because i had other things going on i couldn't be bothered i'm not sure but i mean the thing that i did want to do is like i was worried god was going to come back before i'd had a chance to like go to Hollywood and like yeah. wear pretty dresses and be a movie star, like all the fun things that I wanted to do. I was mm-hmm. worried that before I would ever even get to leave my hometown, God would come back. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I didn't want him to come back when I was like 80. I just, I wanted there to be like, maybe like when I was 30. And that seemed about like roughly what I assumed was going to happen. Was that like by the okay. 30? then that was seemed old enough to me that I could have done some things. And then that was okay. That's some adventure. Yeah, Jesus could have come back after that, after I traveled a bit and done interesting things. Right. So uh, is that what you were secretly wanting to do is go to Hollywood? Yes. Be a star. For sure. As you are well aware, Hollywood in itself was definitely not the place that young Christians are supposed to dream of going <laughs> <laughs> and want to live the lifestyle of Hollywood people. Uh, yeah, it's Satan's town. It's pretty much, yeah, it's pretty much, unless you're like going there as a missionary, then pretty much. Well, yeah, you would have had to say, I want to save Hollywood totally. as like your cover story. My great acting skills and my faith are going to convert everyone in Hollywood. I'm going to tell them about Jesus as I take over the Oscars (laughs) (laughs) well why don't you jump in Sarah and just like describe like a summary of your life and your background this is a good one because you know we're laughing at like you know the older you get it's like so long (laughs) yeah like what do you say (laughs) starting in 1980 (laughs) I was born in a small town um I've always been a west coast girl born and raised here in British Columbia Canada a big part of my, like, I felt like my youth and my very young age was very creative. I felt like I had a lot of space to run around. There was just lots of, there was lots of activity. There was lots of like playing make-believe, running around Mm. in the playground, biking, like you said, uh, playing games in neighbor's yards. It really was that like idyllic kind of 1980s upbringing where everyone's just in each other's sort of houses and in each other's yards and and in each other's uh, lives. Um, And so, yeah, so it felt like a really um, creative, fun, full of laughter sort of childhood. If I think about before I was sort of getting heavier and heavier into the theology that I found really weighed me down in a lot of ways. My childhood was very idyllic and then really heavily involved in, in church as I got older starting probably around age 13, we got a really cool youth pastor who he just was totally, I guess, in tune with what 15 year olds want to do and see, especially in a small town. And so we actually put on these really big, um, elaborate Friday night youth groups, not in terms of being flashy, like, oh, worship music and all that kind of stuff. Crazy stuff, like taking the Sunday school bus up the side of a mountain, uh, for buying and almost destroying the bus. There were things like sort of game show nights where we would have things like Dairy Fest 94 or something like that, where it would just be a row of kids who ever wanted to submit themselves to eating a pile of dairy products in a blender and who wouldn't vomit. Um, Other things, you know, New Year's polar bear swims, just sort of zany, youth-focused fun activities that kids just really wanted to do, to watch, to be a part of, just because it was sheerly bonkers. And I think a lot of it gave this real sense that you were not only a part of this group that was doing all these activities together, but there was also this real sense that 
it was happening, like God was moving because as these events got more and more extensively planned and as we had more youth join us and and ended up expanding into other churches where other churches youth who didn't have the same sort of uh, zest and flair that the evangelical Pentecostal church had, um, we would find ourselves having some Catholics come on a Friday night or having some of the Baptist kids come on a Friday night. And you got this real sense that that God was moving and there was this hub of activity. At one point, we even had retreats. Suddenly, we found ourselves having enough pull sort of in our own locality that we, I think, ran either one or two fall retreats ourselves uh, where we hosted people in our church. And so all of that was just during my really formative years um, from about late uh, preteen. I think the pastor and his wife came around age 12 for me um, and I was right into the youth group right away at age 13 and all the way up to I think about 17 or 18 if I remember correctly when they left for another church and we got a new youth pastor in. But so there's a really key teenage um, formative years just a lot of prayer, a lot of heavy involvement with planning, with activities, with uh, outreach. Uh, so it was very pivotal, sort of how I was absorbing all of that and how I was living out my faith and how exciting my faith seemed and how vibrant and God-centered it all was. And so that was a really fun period for me. And um, but I think it also was a time period where I most deeply absorbed a lot of stuff um, around purity culture and around sort of full on submission. There's just a lot that comes with the fun and the excitement and the being really malleable at that age. And you're with all your friends and there's the boys. And even though I wasn't boy crazy, there were the few, you know, odd crushes that I would have. And of course, mm-hmm. um, who can resist the worship leader who is also the pastor's son who plays the guitar <laughs> and has like the rock and hair or whatever, you know, Yeah, that I feel like that one you and I have talked about is across, <laughs> across the board for like <laughs> yeah. young girls in youth group. And yeah. so there's just, you're just your whole life and your whole youth is so absorbed into going to youth retreats, to youth conventions, to summer camps. It's a really fun, like fun time period. And then after youth group, I actually stayed on quite long. So I ended up staying or taking my first year of university in uh, my hometown. It was a jazz program that I wanted to do. Um, But I was actually sort of quite afraid to move away and and be brave. And so I took my first year at home. And then I transferred some of those um, credits to uh, Bible college in, um, in the prairies. And that was a two-year program. I wanted to do music more. I wanted to do um, a CD, which was, I felt back to my original conversation was uh, probably the closest that I felt I could get morally to being in Hollywood and being a performer was if I were to sing jazz, which is really sort of like old-timey stuff like Billie Holiday, Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of the closest I felt that I could like get. I didn't go to study jazz. They only had a, they had a contemporary music program there um, that had a really good recording studio that was new as well. And so I felt like the combination of contemporary music and a recording studio uh, housed in like a more theological base than just if I had gone to some secular place, I felt like it was sort of like the perfect package. And I think just after I was finished recording my jazz CD, Nora Jones was sort of just emerging. Um, And same with like Diana Krall was just getting big. And so it sort of felt like, okay, here's a bit of a way forward. It's fairly like the lyrics aren't racy. They're not this, they're not that. It's fairly mild and a way forward into Hollywood that I could do through the back door. I wasn't going to be an actress. I wasn't going to, you know, look to make out with actors and like live in (laughs) sin. I was just going to sing because I'd always sung and I'd always been in choir. So that was um, what I focused on. Um, I did my my CD in my first second year of Bible college. And then I thought, well, I should finish up my program that I had started that was in my hometown. And that was Malaspina University College. And I went there and did uh, finished up my two years there. 
And I had really struggled throughout. I started jazz singing uh, in high school, grade nine, um, which is what sort of led me to take jazz and music after. And I really struggled that entire time with how I could be a good witness and how I could show Jesus love and how I could actually be effective in the world if I weren't singing Christian music. So even though, like I said, jazz music is sort of, you know, old timey and, and sort of mild, the reality was, is that I internally was struggling so much. I, I felt quite guilty. I felt like I wasn't using my talents and my skills for God's glory. Um, I would have anxiety before singing that I wouldn't be able to focus on Jesus while I was singing solos and that my inability to focus on Jesus while trying to perform a song, that that would actually um, mean that my music wasn't being used and, and wouldn't be effective and wouldn't um, move people towards Christ. And so even though... I was still feeling like I would find my feet somehow forward and kept continuing in music. I was actually deeply struggling with the moral implications of not singing Christian music and how I would even market myself as a Christian or how I could even... Um, hold myself out as a Christian when the lyrics themselves weren't Christian. And I was even still in my in going to jazz school, uh, secular jazz school, I was still trying to write Christian-y lyrics <laughs> about salvation and hell and whatever to jazz music, if you can only imagine that jazz music very much does not go with heaven hell and redemption lyrics very well especially if you're doing bebop or alternate stuff it's just like swing music is not a great uh, not a great vehicle for <laughs> for any sort of um heavy laden lyrics on where your soul might go for eternity so um i literally come out of bible college in the middle of the prairies very secluded and very small and yeah. over sort of like the pastors and teachers and their families lived on campus. And I went straight from that intense bubble of uh, peak Christian living where you're in classes learning about God, you're um, in church all the time, you're in yeah. um, extracurricular groups that are all Christian as well. I was in a group called Deeper Still and Deeper. <laughs> yes, we came up with that name. Um, yeah. It was a quartet of girls who had a, essentially, we'd all been rejected from the group that we wanted to be in, which was Sojourn. And Sojourn was like the, like that is where the cool singers and cool Christians oh, okay. into. But we were good enough that the Sojourn director was like, you guys should form your own quartet and do stuff. And so we were like, hell yeah, we're going to do that. <laughs> so then we actually traveled around Saskatchewan uh, singing to people and whatnot. And I think we, we basically had, we, or we basically had based ourselves off of Point of Grace. Oh, it sounds so familiar. I'm sure I know them. Like those girls groups, you know, in the, yeah. in the early 2000s and they were all like sort of worshipy and uh, yeah, anyway. And so then I went straight into this like full on real university um, jazz program that had people, you know, smoking pot and like people had boyfriends and girlfriends, like just normal yeah. humans, right? And I remember going to one uh, party and if you remember in like the 2000s, uh, early 2000s djembes were like this huge thing everybody wanted a djembe everyone wanted to play a djembe <laughs> I don't know why it was so freaking cool but it was like the djembe and the didgeridoo I don't know there was something there but anyway um so there was this huge uh djembe circle and everyone was playing and like smoking weed and it was in this character home and I remember being so conflicted because I didn't know the Bible didn't have any ways forward of like, if I'm allowed to be with people who are smoking weed, like, am I supposed to minister to them? Am I, supposed, <laughs> you know what I mean? And just yeah. being so awkwardly placed between um, people that I cared about because uh, as I was learning how to become friends, which was a really difficult thing for me um, to figure out how to navigate 
genuinely listening to people and genuinely not having an ulterior motive to save them or to mm-hmm. get Jesus into the conversation. Yeah. So that was a long process of learning to just like be with people. And it was weird because you know how you always have this thing of like, and sorry that I'm rambling, but you have this thing of like, oh, they'll know we're Christians by our love. And mm-hmm. it's the opposite thing happened to me because how I learned to kind of be friends with people without trying to convert, even though I obviously did still try to convert them, but, but in baby steps and learning um, was they just seemed to genuinely want to hang out with me and mm-hmm. they knew that they didn't have any ulterior motive. And so that largely confused me because I was like, well, I know that you're not like trying to bring me over to the dark side or anything. Cause none of you really believe any of that stuff. So I didn't, I didn't understand why they would like ask me to be in their band or yeah. why they would want me to come to the pub with them. Or I, I felt really out of sorts for quite a long time that first year, which shows really how deeply entrenched it is often in, in how we grew up that your acceptance in the group is based on believing the right things and believing the same things. And that if you don't believe the same things, then you're kind of out. Um, Because here were people accepting me regardless of what I believed. They didn't, that wasn't why they hung out with me. Uh, And I had never experienced that obviously because the reason we go to church as people is to share the same beliefs. And so to just have people who wanted to hang out with me for me as an individual and as a person versus that I believed the right things, I didn't, yeah, I guess I just didn't really know what to make of that. Um, And so navigating things like parties where there's a lot of weed and stuff going on, and I don't even mean bad stuff, like literally like weed was the height of it. I don't remember these all these horrible things that I, I expected the world to include certainly weren't happening at jazz, you know, year one djembe circles. So <laughs> yeah, I just think it was a fascinating learning process of, of the two worlds coming into total conflict of a highly conservative prairie Bible college um, background that was like everyone was writing care cards and little notes for each other of encouragement and Bible verses and like this really like curated, highly supportive environment to just reality of you're paying rent and you go to get groceries and your classes kind of suck or they don't suck, suck, they're amazing. And you're trying to get to know people and um, fun, but, but rough for sure. After jazz, then I worked a little bit in the town that I was in because I still felt very, very um, uncertain about myself and my skills and where I fit in the world and what God wanted from me. And I was so desperate to do what God wanted um, that I was afraid to do something that he didn't want. And so I found that that created a lot of anxiety in me for um, making decisions and moving forward. And so I spent a couple of years, I worked in Valley Village, I, you know, the jobs that you that are fun because the people are fun, but they're just filler jobs. And then I was lucky enough that my parents uh, said, you guys are not married. I was 25 and my sister is younger than me. Both of us didn't have jobs and both of us didn't have boyfriends. And my parents were just like, well, you, none of you are tied down. You don't have anything going on in your lives. Uh, we're going to sell our house and we're going to travel. And so we traveled for four and a half months. Um, so all awesome. over. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, mm-hmm. I can't even express like how life-changing that was and to be lucky enough to do that. And so it was just this whole huge, epic, like life-changing thing of living out of a backpack. And then, yeah. And then I just still felt coming back after that um, really, really lost. Traveling didn't make my situation any easier. It actually made my world all of a sudden a lot broader and more complicated than the version that I'd had in my small like West Coast town. That's a mill town where, you know, everything kind of is the same every day. And um, so suddenly it was like, oh, all these languages and religions and different beliefs and, you know, everything, which was, yeah, really intense to come back to and then try and try and sort that out. So when I came back again, I waffled a bit more and then finally decided to uh, do um, an ESL certificate straight away. As soon as my best friend finished um, her degree in teaching, I finished my certificate around the same time. And we just 
through a connection that we had. We went to Korea and landed in Korea in the wintertime in some small arse end of nowhere town where we had to drive for hours out into the Korean countryside to teach. <laughs> and um, yeah, I met, met my, um, my partner there. Um, and we were friends for ages and, and he ended up saying, Hey, you guys don't have jobs. Like when the Korea stuff fell through, you know, come back with me to China. Cause he had been living in China at the time studying Mandarin. And he was like, there's loads of work, you know, you can get a job anywhere. And so, uh, my best friend and I just like literally went on a boat to China <laughs> from Korea and landed in China and uh, taught there for four months in public schools. We went back to Korea for the summer to make summer camp mo- money. And, um, and, and yeah, and then at that point, we, uh, my partner and I uh, had finally decided, oh, I think we really quite like each other. And then he was finishing his studies in Ireland, and I was back teaching ESL in, in Canada, and we had long distance for ages. Got married eventually after about, I think it was a year and a half or almost two years um, uh, apart. Um, at one point, we were together in the States because he got a year abroad thing to study in States. So we spent a bit of time like wedding planning down down there, got married, and then we moved back to Ireland for a year while he was finishing up the rest of his schooling. Um, and I sort of worked in schools as teach- like a teaching assistant um, and part-time retail uh, and then we moved back to China again to make a bit more money teaching. And then that was 12 years ago, not to like just gloss over the last, but I think a lot of what we talk about is the last, you know, like our deconstruction. And yeah. really my de- deconstruction was quite rapid. Not after meeting him, I think it was a culmination of the whole Bible college uh, expansion. It was a trans-denominational Bible college as opposed to a Pentecostal uh, upbringing that I'd had. So there were a lot of like theological things that were kind of opened there for me. And then traveling was a huge factor. Yeah, really, really big deconstruction then happened as we've already, you know, talked about going back to school and trying to find your feet, right? Yeah. That wasn't brief. I think the question was a brief overview of your... (laughs) But you're like 20 minutes later. Yeah, I feel like it was a nice, like a a summary if you could squeeze like 43 years into. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to get it all. Yeah, yeah. We'll just uh, take a quick break and then we'll come back and keep talking. So that's us back. Um, And I'm going to jump right in and ask Krista the same question and just flip it around. Give me a brief sort of summary or at least match the length of mine if not more um, <laughs> I don't know if I can <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you can <laughs> just if I'll do my best yeah do I'll your do best. my best I'll hit the highlights and we'll see <laughs> um we have some similarities like I I definitely grew up in an idealistic home um I have three sisters so there was four of us girls and we were all born basically back to back I think my mom had four kids in five years or something like that. So we grew up as like best friends. And of course we would fight and stuff, but we were all really close in age and were each other's friends. And today we're still quite close. And like, I saw my parents have a disagreement twice in my life and uh, the type of disagreement to like, I think other families wouldn't have even been considered a fight to other families now that like, I'm more aware of how other families function. So um, like, it was just very, was what was that show called? Leave it to Beaver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so it was kind of like that. And um, we just had a great time growing up. We were outside playing all the time and having a blast. We grew up in the Langley Vineyard Church, which if some people aren't aware, it was like a very charismatic church. They were kind of like the precursor and pioneer to the modern day Bethel of Redding, California. So I grew up in that church with my parents and my family, and uh, we were heavily involved in ministry there. We had home groups. We like our whole week felt like we had church options of youth groups and Sunday services and prayer nights and whatever else. And I loved it. It was, it was a really great way to grow up and I love my family and yeah, we were just really involved in church and church life. And I didn't really know much besides that until I started getting older. 
I ended up meeting and dating the pastor's son, who is also the worship leader at the <laughs> Brain Church. And there, um, <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> and every girl's fantasy, <laughs> I guess, at, at that age, which I didn't actually know was a lot of people's fan, like girls' <laughs> fantasies at that time, because in my church, there wasn't like a teenage boy in the worship team to like look to I guess but at the neighboring church there was and he would come and do uh like worship nights at our church sometimes and I kind of got to know him that way and I didn't really know how popular he was (laughs) until I went to his church which was way bigger than our church um by the time I went that was probably the first time that I got to see more of like the social hierarchy that was Mm, prevalent in church and I I don't know if it was relevant in my church or not, or if I was just always protected from that because I wasn't dating the pastor's son, who was also <laughs> the worship leader. But it, it was definitely um, quite the wild ride. I was so in love with him and thought we would get married. I was 15, but at the time felt like like the best thing in the world could have happened to me. You know, I met the the man of my dreams who happens to be a man of God and all that jazz, but he ended up breaking up with me and I didn't know how to deal with that kind of pain. Um, like just heartbroken and Jesus didn't take away my pain. (laughs) So that was kind of a shocker. And that really probably triggered the first rebellious season of my life where I look back now and see somebody who is just trying her best to find that kind of love again Mm. and just trying any way she can to to have that feeling back in my life that kind of overwhelming joy and optimism and like in love feeling and um I spiraled quite a bit in those years um and and tried some partying and flirting with boys and everything like that and had some pretty devastating moments in those in those couple of years. And honestly, like if I hadn't done some of the things that I did following that breakup, I think that there probably would have been a chance that him and I would have gotten back together. But I just like burned the bridge so hard. <laughs> uh, You're not godly anymore. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like when we broke up, I, like one of his parents' stories had been something like they broke up for a little bit, but then they they got back together and they ended up getting married. And mm-hmm. his dad had like seen her helping an old lady or something at the church and just knew that she was a wonderful person or something like that. So he was like, maybe we'll be like my parents and we'll get back together at a different time. And um, I just, I just was, I turned into a rebellious, sinful teenager and was no longer a good option for him or for anybody. (laughs) Not in the running. (laughs) No, no. And like never again, like not even after it couldn't have even been like, Hey, this is part of my testimony. And now I'm a better person. It was like, no, I really burned that bridge hard. (laughs) Which is so crazy though, too, because you've touched on it before, even with health sciences and stuff like that. But like, you're just a teenager, like your hormones. And yeah, it's just, it's not even your fault. Your brain's not developed. Like you're just a big ball of insane. You know what I mean? Yeah. way but you're just trying to figure things out and it's it's always framed in such a sort of sinful way but you're just like <laughs> you're just so confused about everything oh yeah it was so confusing for sure and I look back on it now as a grown adult with a little different eyes but at the time like it took me a good decade maybe even two decades after that to really make peace with some of it because I judged myself so hardly for my behavior even though I was basically a minor I just thought I should have known better. I should have made wiser choices, uh, you know, all these things. Yeah, at the same time, I was a 15-year-old going through a very yeah. hard time and didn't have the tools. And so it, it took me a while to have some self-compassion and be able to look at myself as more like uh, a child who didn't have the tools. But because I was on such a spiral, a couple of a couple devastating events happened that I probably won't touch on in this podcast, but maybe eventually we'll get to that scared the shit out of me to the point where I knew I needed a life change or I was just, I just didn't know what would happen next. And um, so that was rededicating my life to God and basically leaving the country to California to go to Bible college. And um, I had always been heavily involved in church. And even when I was going through like my rebellious season, I would kind of dabble back and forth with church because you know, you do, you do some little sinful things, then you feel bad, then you need to get right with Jesus, but you, you kind of still want to 
do some bad things. And so it was kind of like back and forth for a little bit, but I really needed something to change. And so I moved to the States. I grew up in um, Langley, British Columbia, Canada, but my my mom was American. So I have dual citizenship and I could easily just go across the border and do something different. So an opportunity presented itself and uh, a girlfriend and I and another guy friend of mine, we all just took a train basically to California and started this Bible college ministry preparation program um, in Sacramento. And it was called Master's Commission. Uh, there's a There was a bunch of different ones throughout the States, but our, our branch was in the Sacramento Church, which was Capital Christian Center. And um, I did a program there for a year and we got to do like a lot of outreach and youth group stuff, working with um, inner city schools. Um, And on top of that, like we had basically like online learning for our Bible college stuff. So we did have coursework, but it was it wasn't the main focus of the program. It was more like actually doing the things that we would do if we were pastors in a church. And we, I learned a lot of really cool things about, you know, planning an event and having a fundraiser and going into the community and building relationships and things like that. Um, But at the same time, there was a leader that was in this program that I found quite toxic, like just had a lot of guilt and shame and the way he would motivate people to do what he wanted, basically used it as manipulation for his gain and try to take credit for everybody's gifts, talents, and abilities for his own glory. And instead of like actually giving it to Jesus, it was all about almost his ego. And I didn't think at the time that that was systemic to the church. I thought that it was just this individual and I knew that I didn't want to be part of that. So I decided to only do that first year and I quit after that first year. And there was actually a lot of pressure from our Bible college group to continue to do the second and third year. You know, like you weren't hearing from God correctly if you were dropping out of Bible college. But I was just kind of adamant that it wasn't it wasn't for me. And so I went back to Canada for a brief moment, but ended up actually getting a job offer at that same church where I I had been doing their ministry prep program. And I didn't have anything else really going on here. So I felt really heavily in my heart that I was called to go there, that God was calling me to go there. And it's maybe one of very few times in my life where I felt so certain that God was speaking to me and that I knew that this path was where he was leading me. I still have difficulty kind of reconciling that with the way my faith has gone now, because I I almost double think everything like, well, is it really God or was it just really what I wanted to do? And then I spun it. I don't know. But um, it's one of those moments in my life where I it's almost too sacred for me to to think too hard about it. Like I felt so certain at the time that God was speaking to me and calling me there and I ended up doing it. So who knows what the counterfactual would be, but um, I went back, I took the job at the church and I started there as their executive admin. And um, I ended up wearing a lot of different hats over the time that I worked at the church. I was there for 10 years and I ended the last couple of years that I was there, I worked in the women's ministry and that was such a good fit for me. Um, I didn't think it was going to be a good fit. It, like they had done a lot of repositioning because of firing and layoffs and stuff when things were getting tight. And so they basically volunteered me to take over the women's ministry portfolio. And I honestly thought like, what worse position could you get? Like, I just thought that it was going to be a bunch of dramatic gossiping people. And surprisingly, it was a wonderful, healthy group of women. And um, I had a great experience there. And I had a great experience with the leader there. It was actually probably the most beautiful experience I've had in church, which also made some of it very difficult because if I had anything come up that just like cognitively didn't work well for me, I couldn't seem to pull myself away enough from this women's group to think for myself because it was such a beautiful, healthy place to be in socially Mm -hmm. and to have that support network. So I I definitely couldn't say anything negative about it. But at the same time, I realized that 
if I hadn't moved away, I think I would still be in that kind of construct because there wouldn't have been enough distance to actually allow me to think clearly. While I was still working at the church before I moved away, I should say I ended up meeting my husband um, who I got married to in 2009. He had also been part of the ministry prep program, but he had done um, a different year. So he had already graduated and finished and he was now working as like a paramedic, but still really involved with the church. So we ended up getting married and I thought that I had the best marriage out of anybody I had ever known. (laughs) I don't know if that just sounds super prideful, but at the time I just thought it was true. You know, I followed all of the things that I thought we should do. Um, We really tried our best not to have sex before marriage and we basically made it like, (laughs) I think like a lot of people who say that they made it to their wedding night, they actually did. And good for them but there are other people who say that they made it to their wedding night and it's like well it's not like they kissed at the altar there was a lot of other things that transpired (laughs) before the wedding night no judgment but we basically we basically did everything according to what we should we should have done and we succeeded (laughs) and so it Anyway, I had a wonderful church life, worked at the church, had a wonderful husband and marriage, loved my life, really believed that I had the most beautiful life because I had made all these healthy, wonderful choices and um, had chosen God and and God's path. And really, he was honoring me in return. And um, we ended up moving away from that community. Um, We were in Sacramento and I moved to the Los Angeles area. I had been doing acting at the same time as working at the church and had just been interested in doing acting stuff. And it was a hobby, but I was close enough to San Francisco that I could drive to auditions and stuff like that um, when they popped up and ended up doing some like minor commercial work and minor short films um, and getting my SAG card and everything. So, uh, my husband was able to do traveling nursing. He became an RN. And so we could basically go anywhere and they would pay for our room and our board and give them a wage. And so we thought, well, why not go to LA and try that so that I could actually be in the Hollywood area and see if I could do anything bigger than commercial stuff because San Francisco is more of a commercial market, not not like movie making So when we moved communities and we were in a whole new place, like there was just, I guess there were other, other things that were wrong with my marriage that I was completely oblivious to maybe before we even left. But when we got to Los Angeles and we didn't have our church community and we didn't have our normal friends and we didn't have our, you know, Sunday services and all the, all the things that almost like keep you in the same motions, a lot of the wheels started falling off. And, um, before I knew it, I was getting divorced. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was like a main event of what was kind of like the last straw. Um, well, it was to me when it happened, it was the only straw that I knew about. Like, um, now looking back, I can see some of the red flags that I probably would have noticed if I hadn't been as naive. Anyway, I ended up divorced, which was a huge, uh, turning point in my life because I never thought I'd be that person who would ever be divorced because I thought I had the perfect life and would always have the perfect life because I was making good choices for Jesus. So I ended up deciding to move back to Canada because I didn't really know what else to do um, to be with family and have a stable environment to kind of heal in. And I didn't actually think that I would stay in Canada. I thought that I would just come and sort out my life and my heart a bit before I had a new plan. And Almost immediately, I enrolled in university and um, started going to Simon Fraser University when I got back here and in getting my health science degree. And um, in my first semester, I ended up meeting my now partner in a course that was a breadth course. So a course that was for his major that wasn't for mine, but I had to you know branch out for an elective or something. It's kind of crazy now to see how far we've come. My my now partner, we have a daughter and we own a house. And <laughs> it's like a whole different chapter of life now where I'm established here in Canada with a completely new person and um, have been deconstructing over the last several years. Basically started that whole process 
since I got out of the church, once I started, stopped doing like full-time ministry as a professional Christian. And that's um, like, that's a fascinating thing. Cause that's sort of our, like our next question that we were going to talk about was like, like a key theological moment of disconnect, you know, mm-hmm. just you touching on this idea that one, you know, having the idea that we talked about, I think in one of our earlier podcasts of this feeling of like being led out of something and how, you know, it's hard to reconcile. Like you said, for you, you feel really strongly that more strong than almost anything in your life that God's asking you to move to a certain place or, or take a certain job. or yeah. something. And then that actually leads to your deconstruction. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, totally. Okay. Well then it, like in a similar way, you know, it's like people would say, Oh, but I thought, you know, God, led you to your partner and now you know what about your faith now it's like yeah if if you're fully invested in the idea that god led me to my partner as i was at the time then it's mm-hmm. really hard to explain how my partner and and my journey joined led to my rapid deconstruction do you know mm-hmm. what i mean it's like yeah. you can't you can't have your cake and eat it too like either god you're feeling all these feelings and having all this stuff where God is like giving you these decisions that then either somewhere along the way, you either have to blame yourself and be like, like you had said, Krista, well, you left that community. So somebody might be able to say, oh, well, that's where like God did lead you to that job or did lead you to that position. But then when you left, then it was, you know, you brought that on yourself or similar with me of like, God did bring you to your partner, but like at point A, B, C or D or whatever can be made up that's where it went off the rails, right? And I often think you only know what you're surrounded in. So the intensity of your feelings and the intensity of your understanding of reality frames what you perceive to be God speaking or real. And I'm not saying God doesn't speak or God isn't real. Um, I just mean that if you only know A, B, and C, Mm -hmm. then you only know A, B, and C, or a combination of A and B, or A and C, or B and C, or, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, your decisions and how you feel, like, I felt very, very strongly that God was leading me to Bible college, which, like I said, another step in my deconstruction path. So I felt very strongly that God was leading me there, and I had really mixed feelings about going to um, a secular university. Uh, I was like, maybe God wants me to stay. And a lot of what I felt now looking back of God wanting me to do a thing was me just understanding that Bible college was the necessary thing to be a good Christian. And Mm -hmm. so my spirit aligned with the morals and the values of the community, um, morals and values that had been instilled in me. So I was told there are certain things that you do that are right and good and noble and just and holy. And Mm -hmm my spirit aligned with those things. And that alignment felt like God telling me to do stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean about that? Like sacredness, because you based your life off of that decision and yeah. so you wanted to have this sacredness. And I don't, I'm not saying that it doesn't, because I think that's one of the cool mysteries that you get to have when you no longer hold things so strongly. One of the cool things you get to have is be like, yeah, it's all mystical. Maybe it was, maybe it was part of a huge thing, but also yeah doesn't so that's okay like it's it doesn't have to be as big of a deal as it was at least for me when I was in faith of like every decision having this huge weight to it and every you know yeah well I think that there are always those milestone Mm -hmm. um decisions where you want to feel that assurance of like this is exactly what I'm supposed to do and for the most part that's the only decision I can think of in my life where I felt so certain Mm -hmm. um and all the other ones I'm like god please Give me a neon sign, like a billboard yeah. on the side of the road that's like, Krista, do this. And I'll just do it. Like, I just want to obey you. I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, <laughs> um, well, they, yeah that's that's a really good point, too. Like, a lot of times where you're, you're in this relationship, um, but a lot of times as a young person growing up and trying to navigate reality and making good decisions – a lot of times that you are left in silence and you are, you're begging and you're, you're, you're on your face trying to get some kind of guidance and clear answer. And mm-hmm. a lot of times is what you get is like a half hearted piece, maybe that you can come to in yourself or non clear directions that could be interpreted different ways. 
Um, so there's a lot of like a lot of what you feel like really strong, serious decisions in your life that need to be made that don't have clarity to them. And I think that's like yeah. part of both of our paths as well. Well, and honestly, it's probably I think it's just um, adulthood and maturity, you know, like, as you become older, you realize that so many things are uncertain, everything has mm. pro and cons. Mm. And honestly, that you can even find scriptures, even if you're still holding on to certain um, doctrine that say that like Jesus gives you the desires of your heart and you have the mind of Christ. So just make make a choice. You know, like it, and maybe I heart, shouldn't. Well, yeah, and then the heart is also, also wicked, wicked and above all else. And um, <laughs> yes, but at the same time, like it, it's just, it's just nice, especially when you're kind of a bit more naive and immature, maybe to rely on that kind of God yeah. prompting. And I'm not saying that I don't, I don't seek that even still. Like I'm definitely in a different place with my faith. But if big decisions come up, I am. I am paying attention to my quote unquote spirit or my heart to, you know, like where, where do I feel personally led? And maybe other people would word that as like, what do I truly want? Mm. You know? Um, so it could just be a language linguistic thing, but, um, yeah, nonetheless, that's basically my background. And now I'm on, (laughs) now I'm on parental leave with my daughter. I go back to work in about a month. Um, and I, currently work for the provincial health service authority here for the province in their virtual health office so there i tied it up i finished it up (laughs) we probably need to tie this up it's been a a a good session but hopefully by the time that i magic edited it down it will be about an hour (laughs) like good luck Good luck. Let's see if I can find a loose 40 minutes somewhere. Um, (laughs) I hope that that gives you a little bit of background on us. And until next time. Until next time.